Pastor Xavier Reese with a gentle reminder about the danger of prolonged sin. God will not wink at your sin or mine. You say, well, you're kind of wrong, Pastor. I've been at it a long time and God hasn't done anything. Just consider yourself very, very, very fortunate. God does not settle all of his accounts in one day. God is very aware of it. God is being very patient and gracious. It's just a sovereign privilege. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. The act of sin may be just for a season, but the consequences of such disobedience can last a lifetime. Today, Pastor Xavier takes us back to the Old Testament book of Leviticus, where he shows us why it's important to have a small sin account. Now let's join him as he continues our study of Leviticus chapter 4. We'll pick up where we left off last time, looking at some important aspects of the sin offering. One of the five sacrificial offerings performed by the children of Israel as an acceptable approach to the holy God. It's a study of the sin nature within all of us, appropriately titled, God Does Not Ignore Sin. He goes on and he moves to the congregation, verses 13 down to 21. He says, Now if the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally, and the thing is hidden from the rise of the assembly, and they have done something against the commandments of the Lord and anything that should be, not be done and are guilty. Then he goes on to speak about the offering and the procedure in that. Notice first that the nation represented God as a holy nation and kingdom. Exodus 19.6 says they were a holy nation and a kingdom of priests. When the entire nation sinned, you say, how can an entire congregation sin? easy. We have all kinds of examples through the Old Testament. They murmured against the Lord. They rebelled against the Lord. They worshiped the golden calf. They did all kinds of things. They represented God. When people of the land saw the nation of Israel, they were to think of God Jehovah. And when they saw the pillar of fire and the cloud, they were to think of all oh, Israel. They were synonymous. It was a marriage. And here when the congregation sinned, they would have no access to God equal to that of the sin of the high priest. The nation was accountable to the priest and to the assembly of the priest. And when it came before their eyes and they found out, they would hold the congregation accountable. The assembly of the priest held the congregation accountable to walk and to live in God. Only when the priesthood became so defiled and so perverted, then God called out the prophets. Do you know that? The prophets were always called out to call back the people of God to God. Even the priesthood had become corrupted. What did they demand? Confession, repentance, to gain access to God again. You find this clearly, verses 13 and 14. The psalm says, cleanse me from secret fault, from secret sin. You find that in Psalm 19.12 and 32.5. Search me. We must forever be open to God. When I go to bed at night, I know I fail somewhere, but I don't always know where. So I pray, God, cleanse me from my sin and my trespasses. Cleanse me from secret fault. Notice that in verse 15, the elders would represent the nation in the sacrifice. You couldn't very well have 
two and a half million people lay hands on the head of this ball. And so you had the heads of the representative of each tribe would lay hands on the bull, transferring that sin in representation, and then the animal would be killed, and again he would be taking the place as substitution, making atonement. Notice again in verses 16 through 18 that the blood atoned all three places as that of the high priest. Why? Because they represented God as the priest. These are the only two sin offerings that the blood has taken inside the holy place, as you will see. They had the greatest privilege. They had the greatest responsibility. And therefore, they were brought before the veil, before the altar of incense, before the altar of brass, reconciling access to God, reconciling prayer and worship, and reconciling the individual in the brass altar out in the courtyard. Remember, brass is always symbolic of judgment. The very same fat and kidneys and liver and every, everything else was offered there as the priest, verses 19 through 21. You remember Israel was sent to captivity of Babylon. They sinned. And God says at the end of Chronicles, you will go in because you have not allowed the land to rest and you have rebelled against me. You don't want to let the land rest? I'll let it rest. I'll put you into bondage, into captivity. For 70 years, you will be in bondage and the land will rest. The entire nation received the consequences of their sin. God did not wink at it. God will not wink at your sin or mine. You say, well, you're kind of wrong, Pastor. I've been at it a long time and God hasn't done anything. Oh, please, don't make a doctrine of that. Just consider yourself very, very, very fortunate. God does not settle all of his accounts in one day, but one day he will settle all of his accounts. If you're in sin, if you think that God doesn't care, I would warn you. I would warn you sternly. God is very aware of it. God is being very patient, long-suffering, and gracious. It's just a sovereign privilege. Don't make a doctrine out of it. He moves on to the ruler. This is the third individual, verses 22 through 26. When the ruler has sinned and done something unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord of God of anything that should not be done and is guilty, and if his sin which he has sinned cometh to his knowledge, he shall bring as an offering a kid of the goat, a male without blemish, and he moves on through the whole procedure. Notice first, he was one of one to lead the people. He was a leader, a prince. One that was to be an example as he led. You remember when Moses chose people to lead in Exodus 18.21 through the advice of Jethro, his father-in-law? Men of good report, men full of the Spirit, men who have a good reputation. 1 Timothy 3, the same requirements are for those who lead the church today. Good report from within the church and from without the church. When those things fail, then leadership ceases. Regardless of how talented you are, how what a great teacher you are, if you do not meet those qualifications, then you cannot do it. God doesn't need me. He can get somebody to do a better job. He's interested in obedience. Not in work. 
in obedience. He was a man of like passions like any other man. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says that we should not be surprised when we fall into temptations, for no temptation has overtaken us such as is common to man. But with every temptation, he will always show us a way of escape. I hate that verse. <laughs> and I also love it. I hate it because I have no excuse. And sometimes I want an excuse. And I love it because it makes me accountable to God. I can never blame anybody for my sin. I have to own up to my own sin. Even when I am an innocent victim. You understand what I'm talking about? I have the ability to choose how I'm going to respond. Life will prove you to be one of two things. Bitter or better. It's all a matter of choice. You have the ability. Notice he had to acknowledge and confess his sin. Offer the sacrifice, the kid of the goat, a male, in verses 23 through 24. He had to own up to his sin. Many people don't want to own up to their sin. It's amazing when I counsel people, especially married couples, how people don't want to own up to their sin. We're always pointing fingers. We don't want to own up to it. There's that pride behind us, and there's that blindness. Sin blinds us. God requires that you and I own up to our sin, confess it, acknowledge it. The New Testament says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The word to confess means to say the same thing. We agree with God. He does not agree with us. He, we agree with Him. God says, this is sin. What do you say, X? I say, well, it's not that bad. He says, I don't even hear you. When you decide it's sin, you call me. All right, Lord, it's sin. Are you sure? Yeah, I am. But not just mechanical. He looks at my heart. If I'm just going through motions, he sees I don't agree with him. And if I think I'm right with God, I'm deceiving myself, no one else. For he says, if we say we walk in the light, but we walk in darkness, we don't have the truth. And we make God a liar. And we deceive ourselves. Many people are deceiving themselves today. Are you living with your girlfriend? Spend the night with her last night? Some of you stealing? And you think you can get away with it? You think God doesn't mind it? Oh, I warned you. He does mind it. And He will deal with it. Nothing escapes God. Absolutely nothing. Notice the priest would offer the blood only on the altar of brass. For his privilege wasn't as great as the high priest of the congregation, verses 25 through 26. Outside the camp, at least there in the courtyard where the altar brasses. The sacrifice was also burnt outside the camp. Why? Because it was a sin offering. But the priest ate of this offering. The priest did not eat of the sin offering of the priest or the congregation because they represented God as a whole. But when it came to the leader, then the priest would eat part of the sacrifice. And you find that in the law of the sin offering, chapter 6, verse 30, chapter 7, or 1 through 7, you get that. So he would partake of that offering of the leader, the ruler, and also of the common person, as we will see. But never, never of the sin offering of the priest and the congregation. That's the distinction and the difference between them. David and Saul brought consequences to the people as leaders. 
In 1 Samuel 15, remember Saul offered sacrifice when that was not his place. He did not wait for Samuel. And Samuel says, what have you done? He says, oh, nothing. I've obeyed the Lord. And Samuel says, what is this that I hear? The bleeding of the sheep. Well, it's the people. See, you weren't here on time, Samuel. So first of all, it's your fault. Then the people kept pressuring me, so I was forced to. Then it's their fault. And Samuel says, you have done wicked. For does God delight in sacrifice as much in obedience? For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. God does not delight in sacrifices, but in obedience. That's what he delights in. David counted the people in 2 Samuel 24. He numbered the people. Why? What's the big sin about numbering the people? Whenever you number your military forces or your people, it was to see how powerful you were to assess your might against the enemy. God says, don't worry about the numbers. You'll always win. <laughs> you count your people, you're saying, well, maybe we won't win. I better check it out. God says, you did wrong, David. You're dependent on the arm of flesh now and not me. He had the testimony of Gideon. He started with 30-some thousand. He ended up with 300. It makes no difference. And both of those rulers brought great consequences to the nation of Israel. Finally, he comes to the common person, verses 27 down to 35. He says, If any one of the common people sins unintentionally by doing anything against any of the commandments of the Lord and anything which ought not to be done and is guilty, or if his sin which is sins comes to his knowledge when he brings his offering to the kid of the goat, so on and so forth, same thing. Notice is when it comes to his knowledge, they were sinning in error, in weakness, and then they all of a sudden, oh, I blew it. And God made provision for that. He didn't have to, but he did. If God had not made provision for you and us and myself after we'd been born again, we would never get to heaven. God is so graceful. Notice he was one who had broken fellowship with God. The individual was part of the community. He affected the community sooner or later. You say, well, what does it matter if I sin? I mean, I don't affect anybody. Oh, are you sure of that? Now you say, yeah, I'm single. I don't affect anybody. Oh, you don't affect anybody? You're a single? You're out there doing your thing? You're into sexual sin? You're into drugs? You're into different things? And then you get married and you find out those drugs affected you. Now you can't have children. But you didn't know it before you married. You just affected your wife. Sin affects sooner or later. Whatever you do, especially when you're single, be careful because you know what? You reap a lot of oats out there. You're going to get the big acorn later on. And let me tell you, if you sow beans, don't expect watermelons as a crop. Once you sow, you have the freedom to sow. But once you have sown, you have no freedom on what you're going to reap. You're going to reap exactly what you've sown. And you know what? Your sins sometimes will never affect you until later on in life. And then you tragically say, oh, I was a fool. I did not listen to my instructors, as the proverb says. Young people, I warn you. I warn you out of love and out of experience. Walk with God. It's an evil and dangerous day that we live in. Very dangerous. He offered a kid of the goat and a female. So notice the offerings do change with the ruler and with the common person because he had less responsibility even than the ruler. So he gives us these individuals in the order of privilege and rank and responsibility. Verses 28 through 29 gives us the offering there. 
The priests would also uh, do as for the ruler. He would atone at the altar of brass in the courtyard. His sin would be judged and cleansed. Notice that the priest, the congregation, the ruler, and the individual, the common person, no one was an exemption to sin. 1 John 1, 9, as I said, says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 2, 1 says, My little children, I write these things unto you that you do not practice sin, but if you fall on your face, if you eat it big time, you have Jesus Christ the righteous to make intercession for you. He's your advocate, the lawyer for the defense. And you know what? Jesus has never lost one case. But you better make sure that you're not practicing sin willfully. You better make sure when you fall short, you come to the lawyer and says, listen, I'm guilty. Would you plead my cause? He says, no problem. But you sure you're guilty? Oh, I'm guilty. Okay. But if you come and say, you know, I'm innocent. I need to be defended. Hey, Jesus never defended one innocent person. Never. They've all been guilty. And how does he defend them? He says, Father, he's guilty. <laughs> what a weird lawyer, huh? <laughs> but he's one of mine. The pastor says, all right. It's covered. Boy, I thank God for that. We want to finish up by looking at the prophetic announcement in the sin offering. There has to be some meaning, some application here. What does this sacrifice tell us? First of all, Jesus is the sin offering for our sins. He has been our substitute. Isaiah 53, let me read that real quickly for you because it is very, very important. Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. He says, Surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. No exception. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Go down to verse 10. This is very important. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grieve when he made his soul, listen, an offering for sin. The very same word, guilt offering. He became my sin. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 says, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteous of God in him. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Why? Because he saw what was to be satisfied by his travail. What? The redemption of man. He goes on to speak. He was the ram, the substitute, the high priest, and the individual and in type that's shown here in the book of Leviticus. The fulfillment you find in the book of Hebrews. You remember when Abraham took Isaac to the mountain and he was going to offer him. He says, Father, here's the fire, here's the wood, but where's the sacrifice? He says, God will provide himself a sacrifice. 2,000 years later, on the very same mountain, God provided his son, Jesus Christ. What was the substitute? A ram caught in the thickets. Jesus Christ. And so, 
The prophetic announcement is that Jesus is the sin offering for you and myself. But secondly, Jesus holds pastors responsible for their lifestyle as the high priest. This is a very clear announcement. He held a high priest who was there in service to the people. He holds pastors responsible. Jesus spoke in John 10, 13 about the hireling. He says, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life. The hireling, he flees when the wolf comes, when the trouble comes. He is to feed the flock of God, 1 Peter 5, 2. Willingly, not of constraint, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. He has the greatest judgment. James 3.1 says, Let there not be many masters, many teachers, for to them will be the greater condemnation. To the man who knows how to do good and does it not, to him it's sin. James 4.17 You want to be a leader? You want to be a pastor? You've got a greater judgment coming. You've got greater responsibility. But thirdly, Jesus holds churches accountable to their complacency, their compromise with sin, to the witness of the community. The seven churches of Revelation are a very vivid example. He writes seven letters to seven churches. He warns them. He says, get back on track. Get back on fire. Get back to me. Are we going to men and women of prayer? Are we going to give of our substance? Are we going to give of our time? Are we going to give of our gifts? Are we going to get on fire for God? In that day of judgment, he will judge the, past, the, the congregation of Pasadena for what we did with what he gave us. Absolutely. But Jesus also holds nations and the world responsible and accountable to the light they have received. None will escape. Noah's day, he held the whole world responsible. He brought in a flood. The Amorites, Genesis 15, 16, Abraham said, God told Abraham, I cannot give you the land because the abomination of the Amorites has not fully come. That means he warned them somehow. I don't know how, but he warned them. He gave them 400 years. They didn't repent, and then he gave the land over and judged them through Israel. Sodom and Gomorrah. God came down to make sure the sin was accurate. Did he have to? No, but he did. He judged it. Nineveh, he sent Jonah. They repented. But later on, he sent Nahum. He says, you have walked away from me. Now I'm going to judge you. How about America? Our coins read in God we trust. Do we? I don't think so. You think God's going to judge America? You better believe it. Absolutely. John Owen said this, Nothing can give perfect peace of conscience with God but what can make atonement for sin. And whatever attempts in any other way but by virtue of the atonement will never attain it in this world or hereafter. Only the blood of Jesus Christ, only a sin offering can atone for your sins and remove that guilt and get you right with God. You have to make that decision. You're not the exception. The particulars of the sin offering, you come as a sinner, not as a worshiper. Acknowledging your sin, confessing it, and receiving forgiveness. The people identified with the sin offering, every person on the face of the earth. No one is the exception, not even you. The prophetic announcement in the sin offering, Jesus is the only one who can atone for your sins. I pray that you respond, you repent, 
confess and you begin to walk with God. He's waiting for you. Pastor Xavier Reese closes today's program with a simple plan designed to help you get back on track in your relationship with the Father. And you can request a copy of today's vital study from the book of Leviticus called God Does Not Ignore Sin. And of course, it's available on CD for just $4. And this message will also contain what Pastor Xavier shared with us last time we were together as well. The title to ask for once again is God Does Not Ignore Sin. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make a request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it helps us when you tell us the call letters of this station when you contact us. Now, how do you begin a relationship with Jesus Christ? Join Pastor Xavier Reese for the surprising answer. That's right here on the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 